God's people said today. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Let's bow our heads together and let's pray as God's people. God, we are indeed grateful to be here. Lord, we never take these days for granted. And I pray as we come, we pray and ask you to help us focus. Lord, help our hearts to be open. Help us to listen. Lord, help us to look and see and and feel your presence among us. And and God, give us great joy in knowing that we have the freedom, Lord, to worship you on, on this Lord's Day. Lord, today we pray for believers all around the world. Lord, we know that we are a part of a, a great testimony to you. Lord, we pray for brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We pray for those that are in refugee camps in those neighboring countries. We pray for missionaries and, and pastors, Lord, new believers 
Lord, so many people trying to do so much to share the gospel of Christ, and we know that there are opportunities, Lord, even for our church to be a part of that, and we're so grateful. God, we pray for protection. Lord, there have been believers now for decades and even centuries who have faced persecution because of your name, and and we thank you for them, and we pray that you would bolster, Lord, those who are persevering, Lord, today um, for you and because of you. Father, um, grow our faith, Lord, um, equip us, Lord, for the days ahead. We know, Lord, as the end times draw near, that, that we have to be more ready and more prepared and more astute and attuned than we've ever been in our life. And so, Lord, do that today. Let that be a part of what happens, Lord, with your people. Let iron sharpen iron, Lord, today and allow us to be a deeper and more equipped disciple as a result of having been here. Father, we give you our worship, we give you our praise, and we celebrate that you are still on your throne. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen and amen. Be seated. Thank you so much, so very much for being here this morning. Um, I love what's happening in this early service. Um, We have um, new faces um, with us in this service, and I've noticed um, after the welcome, uh, when I turn my back and start singing, when I get back up to preach, there are actually more people here the second time I look out. And so that just goes along with the territory of trying to get up and get around. And so I'm glad that you've made it today. If you're our guest, we want you to know that you mean the world to us. We are happy that you're here. Uh, we want you to be embraced and welcomed and loved on and, and thanked for being here. And so um, if you see a guest around you, member of First Baptist Church, if you haven't greeted them, we haven't been doing our greeting time, but that shouldn't stop you, all right? Uh, you get out outside of that pew and get over there and, and give somebody a handshake or a hug and let them know that they're loved. If you are our guest, please, um, so that we can connect with you. Um, This is a society that has all types of opportunities to connect, so we need your phone number, we need your address and email address. We won't harass you, but we will reach out to you and express our love. So if you'll take that card in the pew pocket, um, fill that out for us. You can drop it in the giving um, area out on the landing. Also, you can go to our church website, fbccana.org, and do that, and we invite you. And if you're watching online today, we encourage you to go to our website and tell us about you, and then come be with us in person. Um, you see in the worship guide today, I've talked a little bit about the difference in being together with God's people and doing church from the sofa. It's just not the same. And um, COVID has somehow tried to make us believe it is the same. And we're glad that we can reach out, you know, um, through technology. But I'm glad you're here. It's different when you're in, in the house and you're sitting next to another believer. Somebody say amen to that. It, it makes a difference to be here. And so, so if you're a guest online, you come and make your presence known and be a part of this amazing family. Um, let me tell you one quick announcement. You'll probably hear about it again. We have a special called church conference tonight at 545. Our missions um, committee is bringing a proposal. It's gone through all the various committees. Everybody's sounded off on that and given approval to do a special called conference. We want to try to hear their proposal connected to an opportunity in Ukraine right now. It's time sensitive, and so that's why we're pushing it quickly. I hope that you'll be back at 545. We'll be really quick in this room, and then we'll go down and love on Marjorie Bentz and her family. We have a reception for her tonight. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm super glad that you came. I'm super glad that this big, beautiful choir, look at this, we've got almost all the seats full. Yeah, give them a hand, would you? 
I'm excited. Our, our choir has, we've, we've had a few challenges. We've had a couple of Wednesday nights we've had to cancel, but they uh, have stayed faithful to the call. They're going to sing a great song this morning entitled, He's Been Faithful. We just sang, Have Faith in God. But you know, there are times in our lives, how many of you have ever wondered, is, is God still there? Is, is uh, you know, tough times and come and we wonder, God, have you forsaken me? How many, how many of you have actually thought that? Yeah, we all have. And so this song just reminds us that even though in our hearts sometimes we feel like God have, has deserted us and not been a friend to us, that he is, he is faithful and true to those that are faithful to him. So I want you to listen prayerfully to this great anthem, He's Been Faithful.
Amen. If you believe that, stand with us and let's continue our worship time. Great is the Lord. He is holy and just. Let's sing together. Great is the Lord. He is holy and just. I Yeah. 
pray. Father, thank you. We feel your presence. Truly, we feel your presence in this place today. Father, we're grateful for the freedom that we have to come and worship you. We are grateful for a beautiful building that we have to come to this morning praise your great and holy name. Father, be with us today. Father, let us realize not to take anything for granted in this world. Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, our friends, pastors, churches, Missionaries, those in harm's way, millions. Father, we pray a special blessing on them. Father, we pray for protection. We pray for an ending to this conflict soon, Father. We pray for those that are going there to help. Those like Michael and Jan Gott, Tammy and Larry Wood, that are going to help refugees and preach your word. Father, we pray that today in this place that your name would be lifted high. We lift up our pastor today as he comes to bring the word that you've put on his heart to share with us today. May we worship you today as you look down in this place today, Father, our prayers that you've been pleased with our worship today. That's why we've been created to worship you. Father, we thank you, we love you, we praise you in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for being here. You may be seated. And um, it is true that there are more of you now than there were when I stood up earlier. And so that is sure exciting um, that you're in God's house today. This morning, I want us to immediately dive back in to this incredible discussion that we began last Sunday about Moses. We have been walking in the Old Testament, as you probably know. We've been dealing with these giants of the Old Testament history. We've talked about Elijah. We've talked about David. And now we've been talking about Moses. And today we're going to talk about Moses and Pharaoh. And I want you to remember last week in Exodus chapter 3 that God told Moses, hey, go back and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses asked God a question, well, who can I say sent me? And God gave that classic answer, I am who I am. That's who you are to tell them that sent you. And Moses argued, he he struggled, he's so much like us. He gave all of these excuses, but eventually he agreed. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. So take your Bibles and go today to Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Let's go ahead and stand back up. I know you just sat down, but I want to honor the reading of God's word today as we stand in his presence and before his word, um, kind of Old Testament practice as well. When they would open up and, and share the word of God, they would stand in the presence of the reading of God's word. And so I think it's meaningful that we still get to do that. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. 
Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go so they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work, he said with an exclamation point. And then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy, and that is why they are crying out, Let us go and sacrifice to our Lord. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention, he said, to the lies. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you so much for standing in the presence of God's word today. Uh, I want to get right into this because we have really three movements in this message that I want to make together. And I want to start by simply talking about the command of God. This was the command of God. It was not the command of Moses. It was not the command of Aaron. No, this command came straight from the divine throne. It was the command of God. He sent a message simply saying, let my people go, right? And the truth is, is that God talks like this sometimes. I want to recognize this as we begin, that God gives commands many times that are not very pleasant. Some of God's commands are emphatically pleasant, but many of God's commands seemingly are not to us. And he warns Pharaoh seven times, and we learn in that that God is a God of patience. The Bible says he's long-suffering towards us, even to some as antagonistic and hostile as Pharaoh. No, God continues to be patient, but God gave the command to Pharaoh. So here's my question, and we're going to do this today. We're going to talk about Moses and Pharaoh, but but then we're going to talk about us. What has God commanded you to do? You see, God still gives commands. Just as powerfully as we read this in the text today, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go, God still gives us commands And certainly it's not to let some people out of slavery, right? But maybe there's something in their life that he does want you to let go of. Is he saying today, let go of something in your life that's not pleasing to me? Friend, you need to leave it behind. And today when you when you recognize that command, maybe you're like Pharaoh. Maybe you too have been in this struggle, hardening your heart against God. Maybe you're saying, no, I don't think so. And I, and I want to tell you that God is a God of patience to you as well. And we need to know that even, even though God is a God of patience, when he gives us directives, right, there is a time when that runs out. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then he had to suffer. So we start with this difficult yet direct command of God. 
But Pharaoh said no. And so now let's move from the command of God to this second portion. I want to talk about the consequences of disobedience. I think it's one of the main things we see in the passage and in this message today. And the consequence that God sends upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians are what? The plagues, right? And there were ten plagues that came against Pharaoh. Today, I want to talk about nine of the ten. The tenth, of course, was the Passover, and that's what we're going to talk about next Sunday morning. We have to devote an entire message to the plague, if you will, of the Passover. So so let's talk about these nine. And before we do, let's, let's address this. I've heard over all these years that people will say this when they read the stories of the Old Testament. They'll say things like, God is such a mean God, or God was such a, a mean God, an angry God, sending down plagues upon people, right? How could he be so cruel to send all of this calamity upon the earth? But, but we need to recognize the truth is that God warned, didn't he? And he warned, and he warned, and he warned in the Bible before God ever sends judgment. And we see this in our lives. We certainly learned it when we studied Revelation. Before he ever sends punishment or judgment, he always first sends a warning. And the warning in this particular scenario are these plagues. Let's go to Exodus chapter 7, verses 19 through 22. Exodus 7, and we're going to begin to dive and walk through these plagues. Very interesting how this goes down. Exodus 7, verse 19. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn, say it out loud, to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the wooden buckets and stone jars. Verse 20. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials, and he struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. Right? Let's stop right there. So the very first plague was water changed to blood. Now, it's very important that we notice this. The main source of water in all of Egypt, and I'm so sad, we were going to get to go there before the Holy Land trip. Everything got changed, but we were actually going to get to lay our eyes on the Nile River for the first time. There was no water in Egypt outside of the Nile. We understand that, right? And I want you to see that none of these plagues that God sends, they're not just arbitrary choices. God didn't didn't say, now let me see, right? I think I'll just turn the Nile into blood. No, God picked one of the Egyptian deities to show that he was more powerful than that deity. Let's talk about that. If you've studied history, you know that the people of Egypt, they worshipped the Nile River. They thought the Nile in and of itself, it was a god, little g, right? But every, because every year when the Nile would overflow, it made the land moist, it made the land fertile, so they prayed literally to the god, the Nile River. So God chose to turn the Nile water into blood. In other words, God was in essence saying this, you think your god is strong, hey, watch this, right? So Pharaoh gets the message, but he doesn't relent. He refuses to let the Hebrews go, and so we move to plague number two. Many of you would have loved this one, a plague of frogs, right? A plague of frogs. 
Let's talk about this one in Egyptian in, in, in Exodus chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. The, Egypt had a God that looked like a frog. Let's talk about this. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile, and then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palaces and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will go up on you and your people and all your officials. Now, how would you have loved to live in this particular environment? How many of you love frogs to that degree? Unbelievable, right? You wake up in the morning. You feel movement down by your feet there in the bed. You roll over and your bed is full of frogs. Now that'd be a tough way to wake up. That would get your attention, right? You try to walk into the kitchen. Every step you take, you're you're squashing frogs. You open the kitchen cabinets to get your breakfast and out of the bowl of Cheerios jumps a frog, right? The land of Egypt was covered with frogs. And Pharaoh said, okay, I've had enough. We'll let them go. And he says this over and over. And then what happens? He changes his mind. So we move on to plague number three. And plague number four, we'll kind of deal with these together quickly right here. Gnats and flies. Now, I don't like frogs to the degree that they're going to be in my bed. But I'm telling you right now, a a plague of gnats around your eyes, flies all over you, unbelievable. The Egyptians had a God who controlled the insects. We see this in chapter 8, verses 16 and 20. You can read about it. And when God sent gnats and flies, he was saying, I'm more powerful than your insect God. Pharaoh did not relent. And so we march on with the fifth plague, a plague upon the livestock. Exodus 9, verses 1 through 4. Let's read about this one. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh... And say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will be, will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses and donkeys and camels and on your cattle and sheep and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. Unbelievable. I've read commentaries that said this was just some sort of widespread sickness or bacteria on the livestock. But folks, that's not what scripture says because only the livestock of the Egyptians were affected. All the livestock of the Egyptians died. But not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. It was amazing, but Pharaoh's heart was still unyielding. So up to this point, right, the first five plagues are directed to animals or things, all connected to these gods of the Egyptians. But in plague number six, the people begin to be affected. Plague number six is boils and sores on their body. Exodus 9, verses 8 through 12. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from a furnace, and have Moses toss it in the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, and festering boils will break out on men and animals throughout the land. 
So they took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it in the air and festering boils broke out on men and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said to Moses. It is absolutely unbelievable. We don't like frogs. We don't like gnats. We don't like flies. But this one's different. We're talking about sores, open, oozing, bleeding, painful sores. But you know, the big issue for me is not the sores. It's the last verse that I read. This is the thing that catches my my eye. The phrase, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What does that mean? What does it mean, God hardened Pharaoh's heart? Now, that phrase is very much in its construction like the phrase we find in the New Testament book of Romans where it says God gave them over to their sin. And what that means is this, is that when somebody walks away from God, when somebody chooses, right, through their own volition, their own desire, their own will, their own prerogative, when they choose to disobey God, it says, if that, then God says this, if that's where you want to go, well, I'll allow you to go in that direction. You see, he gives them over. And Pharaoh wanted his heart to be hardened. He wanted to stand resolute against God. He wanted to defy the commands of God. And God said, okay, if that's how you want to move, then I'll allow you to move in that direction. He gave him over to the hardness of his own heart. And so plague number seven comes. Hail falls from the sky, destroying crops and and property. Plague number eight comes, the locusts, right? Locusts filled the land and the sky and the air. As a boy, I loved to go out and find the locust shells and do all those crazy things that a boy would do to his sister. But this is different. This is in your hair, dive bombing, all the things that go along with it. Though the land was full of locusts, you couldn't even see the light. And then plague number nine, number nine the plague of darkness. Let's read about this one. Exodus 10, 21 through 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. No one could see anything, anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Have you ever really read those words? Darkness you can feel. That's incredible, isn't it? And if you've ever studied any Egyptian history, you've obviously heard of names like Osiris and Isis, the god of the sun, the god of light. To to the Egyptians, this was the most powerful god of all, right? So you know when the God of Israel turned off the light, he was telling the world, he was telling Pharaoh, the Egyptian people, don't worship the sun, don't worship the moon. You had better fear the one who made the sun, who made the moon, who made the light. 
And even though it was such a striking contrast of challenge to their minds and hearts, those nine plagues did not cause Pharaoh to turn to God. They did not cause him to relent and obey. So the tenth plague comes, and as I told you, we'll deal with that next week. But in the midst of all these plagues, there's something we need to talk about. And this is really where I want to go with the whole message because I want to see this differently today. You see, Pharaoh, we we talk about Pharaoh digging in his heels. But what you may not remember from the story is that Pharaoh changes his mind a little bit. He, He tries to get Moses to compromise just a tad. He tries to get Moses to settle for just a small piece of God's perfect plan. And this is the real story of Moses and Pharaoh is that, that, that compromise is proposed into the proposal of what you might be able to do. And in our society today, compromise feels like a good word, doesn't it? And it can be good. As we negotiate through an issue, sometimes you compromise a little bit, I'll compromise a little bit. We'll meet in the middle. All will be happy. But when it comes to God's will and God's plan, friend, compromise is one of the most dangerous things that can be chosen. You see, with God, compromise is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. And it's temptation from the devil that produces this concept of compromise. Let's talk about the compromises of Pharaoh. This is the third part of this message. You see, Pharaoh actually makes four different offers to the Israelites that were all well short of what God wanted from them. And here's the first one. I love this part of the sermon. This is the heart of what we're going to talk about. The first compromise, worship God where you are. Exodus chapter 8, verse 25. Let's go back and pick up these responses of Pharaoh. Exodus eight twenty-five. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God here in this land. You see, it all starts with Pharaoh saying, Who is your God? I don't know your God. Get out of my presence. But after a few plagues, here in Exodus 8.25, it says that he summons Moses and Aaron and says, Go sacrifice to your God then, but just do it right here. What's the issue? What's the compromise? How does it touch us today? Well, here's what I think. The devil will tell every person, Sure, worship. But don't change. Keep living in the land of bondage. Keep living as a slave to sin and worship God all you want to. Go ahead and call yourself a Christian, but act like everybody else who's not a Christian. You see how dangerous it is to say, go ahead and worship. Just don't move. And I want to ask today, God asked me, you do know it's harder to prepare to preach than it is to preach, right? Is this something that I or you have settled for? Go ahead and worship. 
But just stay right where you are. Don't move. The second compromise. It's interesting. Pharaoh's not done. In Exodus 8.28, he says, go, but don't go far. Let's go to 8.28. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. So worship God, but don't leave Egypt. Okay, if you're going to leave Egypt, don't go very far. Now what's this a picture of? I think this is how Satan tries to get all of us to compromise when it comes to total commitment to Jesus. And you see, as God's people, and I've been convinced of this more as your pastor, we have to begin talking about Satan's strategies against us. Uh, the best offense, right? The best way to know how to deal with an opponent is to, the best defense is to know how his offense is going to operate. What are Satan's strategies? He's shrewd, isn't he? He's subtle, isn't he? He wants to keep every person from becoming a Christian. He'll lie. He'll do whatever it takes. But when you become a Christian, don't you dare think he says, well, I lost that one. I'll just give up on them. They're a lost cause to the forces of evil. No way. It's then that he changes his strategy toward you. And here's what he says. Okay, now you're a Christian. All right. But just don't go very far into this Christian thing. Don't become a fanatic. Don't become a Jesus freak. Don't really get all fired up. Don't change the whole social structure. Don't be really committed. Don't go very far. Do you see that? That's the compromises of the devil that he's offering. Worship God, but don't leave Egypt. Okay, if you're going to go, don't go very far. And now Pharaoh offers a third. Go, but don't take your family. Exodus 10, verses 10 and 11. Listen to Pharaoh's words now. The Lord be with you. Who's talking here? It's Pharaoh. The Lord be with you. If I let you go along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. No. Have only the men go and worship the Lord since that's what you've been asking for. And then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. Do you see what Pharaoh's doing now? You can go, but leave your family behind. I think that's the same thing the devil's trying to say to people today. You can be a Christian, but don't really let it influence your family, for crying out loud. Don't let it influence your home life. Don't let it change what you watch on television and how you talk to one another. Don't let it influence your children. You go ahead. You be a Christian, but you leave your family out of this thing. 
It's crazy when you start thinking about this because do you realize there are parents today, I've spoken with them who really don't think it's their job to spiritually train their children. They say something like this. They think they'll just let their children decide what they want to believe on their own. I was forced as a child. I'm just going to allow my children to choose for themselves. Folks, that's like making a garden spot and never planting any seed. Just seeing what will grow there. You know what's going to grow there? I'll tell you. Weeds are going to grow there. You have to make sure you take your family. You have to make sure that they're with you on this Christian pilgrimage. And don't stop. Children, grandchildren, Great-grandchildren, don't stop embracing them to come with you on this Christian pilgrimage. Go, but don't leave Egypt. But if you go, don't go very far. Oh, and if you're going to go far, don't take your family. The fourth compromise. Unbelievable. Go, but leave your possessions behind. Exodus 10, 24. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship the Lord. Even your women and children, see he's just giving in, may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. What's this a picture of? I think it's pretty simple actually. If the devil can't keep you from becoming a Christian, his next step is don't be totally committed, don't go very far, right? Then he says, okay, if you're going to go do that, then leave your family out of that thing. And then number four, listen, if you're going to go off and do this Christian life, then leave your money out of it. Leave your money out of it. Your money is between you and yourself, and it's none of God's business, right? And I'll guarantee you there are a lot of so-called Christians who have reached this point of compromise in their stewardship. But I love what Moses said in verse 25. We can't miss this. Moses said, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burn offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. You see, Moses understood in this moment that those things that God entrusts to us, they are to be used as sacrifices saying, God, you are to have these things back. They belong to you. It's my act of worship. So overall... Moses resisted all the compromises of Pharaoh. He said, no, we are going to go. And not only are we going to go, we're going to go all the way. And not only are we going to go all the way, we're going to take our family along with us. And not only are we going to take our family along with us, no, we're taking the herds and possessions too. And here's the question of the sermon. I think this is the message. Where have we drawn the line? In that process of compromise, where have you drawn the line? Do you say, well, that's as far as I'm going. I'm a Christian. 
And I'm going to go all the way with Jesus. I'm just going to stand here, though, and make sure I hold on to my ticket to heaven. Or are you going to say something like this? God, I'm going to get fired up. But it's too hard to deal with my family. So I'll just focus on me. Or do you say, I'm going all the way with Jesus Christ. And I'm taking everybody I can with me. And I'm taking everything I own, everything I possess, and every single bit of it is going to be presented as an offering to you, God. You see, I think if we see anything else, we see that Moses' story is a story of commitment. And God's prayer for us is to be a people fully committed to God. 